Stanley Black & Decker is a 170-year-old tool company that owns brands like DeWalt, Craftsman, Black & Decker, Troybill, almost anything you go into, you see in the Home Depot, they probably own it. Uh, this company has been hit hard by the pandemic crash, and if going forward the company is able to rebound, you're going to make 250% on your investment. I'm going to show you the case where I believe a simple growth model for this stock is going to yield outside investment returns. Ready? Let's get to work. Hello, welcome to Rational Investing. My name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. Thank you very much for watching the channel and listening on the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. This channel is dedicated to the rational cash flow investor. We do not, we do not chase growth stocks on this channel. We try to buy and hold long-term assets that we, buy, that we believe are reasonably priced. Uh, we use five key attributes that we use to judge stocks on this channel as the foundation to begin more due diligence. I want to see a stock with the following attributes. Number one, top line revenue growth. It's got to be growing. Number two, earnings. EBITDA needs to be growing. We use EBITDA for enterprise level earnings. Number three, strong free cash flow. You must be able to make cash out of your business. Number four, low debt. We want to see less than three times debt to EBITDA as a ratio. And number five, we want a well-priced stock. What is a well-priced stock? That's kind of the name of the game here. A well-priced stock is a stock with a conservative forecast will beat the market. That's it. I want something that I believe I can buy a pay a reasonable price for, that I don't need to bake in 20% annual growth for a decade, but if it's 2 3 4% growth, I believe that's reasonable for a lot of industries. It lowers the hurdle, and if over time you're able to do that and you can beat the market from that stock investment, that to me is a well-priced stock and it, worths, it's, it is worth greater due diligence. We are going to look at Stanley Black & Decker today. This company is a 170-year-old tool company that has owns brands such as DeWalt, Stanley, Craftsman, Black & Decker, Troy Built. You can see the list behind me. Uh, Porter Cable, Botch, uh, Lenox, uh, so, so Mac Tools. Not only do they make the hand tools like the, the screw guns, the nail guns, but they also make blades, the batteries, the, the, um, uh, the little bits and parts, and they have industrial tools that they make as well. So... This company has a wide breadth of products that they offer and has been hit hard recently as the pandemic, the post-pandemic boom of stay from home and work uh, has, has lowered sales. Their earnings were up as a result of price increasing, but the volume was down. So the stock is good, definitely going to go through a rough patch in 2023. They are guiding as such, but I believe the market's overreacting to this drop. And if I look at the stock now with a conservative growth forecast, I get an amazing result. Stick with me. I'm going to show you how I believe that the case to make 100, 250% on your money is real for Stanley Black & Decker. All right, the first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna take a look at the income statement from the last 10K that they were filed. And I wanna encourage everybody that if you're buying stocks, you're an equity owner, you're an owner in the business, you're a partner. If you were to start a business or become a partner in a company with a friend, you'd be looking at the, at the detail of the business and the financials every single year. You need, to, you need to do the same thing with the stocks that you own. So in this instance, let's dive through the 10K very quickly and look at the income statement of Stanley Black & Decker. So this is as of fiscal year end, December 31st, 2022. They produced $16.9 billion of top line revenue for from selling their tools, which are mostly hand tools. They have a about a $2 billion industrial tool section, but most everything is the kind of consumer retail uh, tool 
a segment. So $17 billion, that's up from 152 15.3 uh, in 2021 and 12.7 uh, in 2020. Uh, 2020. Most of this growth uh, they're saying is from price appreciation, not volume. So ideally, we would want a company that's selling more and more volume. They are able to increase pricing because help offset some of the inflation, but they are guiding to uh, f like low single digit decline in earnings in 2023. And you'll see their cash flow is impacted by some inventory changes. Uh, so we'll get to that in a second. But cost of sales, $12.66 billion. This is the cost to manufacture the tools that they sell. It's the labor for the line workers. It's the building and infrastructure that they house them. It's the actual raw materials that they use to make the, P, the components of the power tools themselves. It's the depreciation on the building. And that's up significantly from $8.4 billion three years prior. Selling General Administrative, SGNA, it's typically um, abbreviated to, $3.35 billion. That's up a billion dollars, uh, excuse me, $800 million from $2.55 billion two years prior. Selling General Administrative would be your headquarters cost predominantly. So it's it's the executive team, it's it's count accounting, it's your legal department, it's your AP team, your AR team, it's insurance. Um, it's, it's your legal, it's, it's anything, it's, it's rent on your HQ, it's anything that's not directly tied to the manufacturing of the product that you sell. And it's often referred to as the fixed cost portion of the P&L. Now, normally underneath this line, you would have operating income where they take this line minus these two, you get operating income. Here, what they do is they just continue listing all the other expenses that they incurred for a total of 16.9 billion for a net, for an income before tax of only $38 million. Now, prior to that, it was $1.56 billion. Prior to that is $1.18 billion. So they should, be no they should be north of $1.5, almost $2 billion in operating income, excuse me, uh, earnings before tax. Except for last year, they had a lot of cogs of cost of goods sold uh, that, that brought down the overall profitability of the business uh, because 2022, uh, they had a lot of uh, drop volume and they had to liquidate a lot of inventory. Okay, the next thing we want to do is take a look at the balance sheet. Balance sheet as of 2022, they had $400 million in cash. They had accounts receivable of $1.2 million and they had inventory of $5.8 billion. Uh, total uh, current assets, just shy of $8 billion. They do have a sizable amount of goodwill here, $8.5 billion, and some intangibles of about uh, $2.6 billion on the, on the trade names and $1.8 billion on customer relations. So this is a big chunk of assets that are not uh, really sellable. It's, it's, it's hard to liquidate these types of assets. Total assets, 35 billion, excuse me, $25 billion. Now compare that to the to the liability section. So current liabilities, 6.5. So they have more current assets than current liabilities. That's good. And long-term debt here, uh, a, a bank debt, long-term bank debt, $5.3 billion, which is not that much. I'd like to see that. And then they've got a positive equity balance at the very bottom uh, of $9.7 billion. Let's go through the cash flow statement really quickly and figure out how much cash money this business actually makes. So I'm going to start with the top line kind of net operating income level. They've got $173 million here, and they're going to start adding back and subtracting non-cash items to get to a cash flow from operations. 
That is the cash money that was made for running the business. Uh, that's the first third of the cash flow statement. After that, you have cash flow from investing, and then finally cash flow from financing. If we look through and scroll down, I get a negative $1.5 billion from cash flow from operations for the business last year. Now, what does that mean? That means that at the end of the year, they spent, they had an outflow of $1.5 billion in order to run their business that year. That's very interesting. And you obviously don't want a business that is, that is doing that every single year. We need to figure out A, uh, what was it historically? Has it always been negative? And then B, why was it negative this year? And it, are they one-time issues that we expect in the future to kind of revert back to normal? You can quickly see that two years prior, uh, cash flow operations was a cool $2 billion. Uh, 2021, it was $660 million positive, and then they had the negative. So it was positive the last few years, kind of coming down a little bit as you get kind of into COVID and through COVID. Last year with the $1.5 billion loss, let's see what that was made of. There's an accounts payable here of $1 billion. That means they paid down the payables on the balance sheet $1 billion. That's, that's, what does that mean? That's like um, you've got invoices from vendors for parts that you ordered that you've received and you owe them a bill you're gonna pay that, you're gonna lower that bill down by $1 billion. Now you have the assets, you have the, whatever you used, either the service or the parts, you're gonna go then make a product for that. But buying it down is kind of a one-time deal. You can see historically, it was a positive number. Generally, as you're growing, you're, you're building payable balances on average as you scale the operations. If you contract, then you spend less then the, then the prior bills are bigger than the current bills and you have to buy them down. That's kind of how the working capital works. So $1 billion there, I would add that back here and take this 1.5 million, 1.5 billion negative and turn it to a minus four, 500 million. Let's see what else we can find. Hey, sorry to interrupt. If you like the content, please subscribe. I greatly appreciate it. Also, if you want more stock tips, check my website out, cashflowinvestingpro.com, where I produce one-pagers like this one, summarizing 10 years of financial information for America Express. I give you a forecast of what I think it's going to do, and currently, I think it's yield 23% IRR for the next decade. An amazing stock pick. There's lots more. Check out the link below for a free one-pager at cashflowinvestingpro.com. So the other thing I might consider adding back is accrued expenses. If you look here at uh, accrued expenses minus $176 million, uh, this used to be a positive, say 400, 300 million. So that swing from a positive uh, 300 million of cash in to a negative uh, 170 million cash out is a $400 million swing which basically takes this negative to almost zero on the, on the year, looking at kind of overall how the business performs year in, year out versus this last, this last year. But let's finish the rest of the cash flow statement to see what else we can learn. Cash flow from investing. So they spent $530 million in capital expense. So that's building equipment and that's, that's software. That's uh, up slightly from $520 billion the year prior and $348 billion the year prior. So they've been spending regularly. They're not pulling back on cash the, to, to, to reinvest in the business. So let's walk through the cash flow from financing section to see how they, how they finance this business. 
you can see listed here is the debt that they buy and sell for their own balance sheet. Now we're gonna we're gonna learn that this isn't a huge issue that they can they have plenty of room for debt. So a lot of this movement is just them rolling over debt that came due, and I'm okay with that. Down at the bottom here, they have dividends that they paid out. They paid out four hundred and sixty-five uh, million dollars in dividends, which is about the same as it was prior year, and up from uh, two years back of four hundred and thirty million in dividends. So they can't afford the dividend when we look at it. This one particular year was an anomaly. I think if it returned to normal, there's plenty of cash here to 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 afford the dividend. All right, let's let's look at this business over a long period of time, see how they performed. So Stanley Black and Decker over the last nine years has done quite well. Revenue in 2014 was $11.3 billion, and that has grown slightly at a very slow rate uh, over the last nine years to uh, 16, almost 17 billion last fiscal year that I said. On average, that has been a 5% annual growth rate over that period of time, with most every year being a slow notch higher. EBITDA earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization has also been growing with the exception of last year. So 1.7 billion in 2014, 1.87 by 16, 2.12 by 19, it peaked at 2.6 in 2021 and 2022, 1.5 as the business has contracted. They're expecting this to come down again, maybe uh, low to mid single digits. Um, we're going to use a little harder number just to be more conservative, but they're right now at 1.5 billion of EBITDA. Total debt for this business, total debt for this business is was uh, $4.7, $4.2 billion, and that's grown to $7.8, $7.9 billion over this last uh, nine-year period of time, with the last couple years debt spiking from $4.7 billion to $7 billion. If we look at market cap, market cap is shares outstanding times average price. This stock has made kind of a full round trip, $15 billion market cap in 2014. Went up to 16 to 17 to 25, 28 and 30 in 2021. Last year, 2022, $12 billion market cap. That is the lowest market cap we've seen this stock in the last set, uh, nine years. If I add debt and market cap, I get enterprise value. That's the true value, total value of the business. And that, biz that has also made a full round trip with a zero growth rate over the last decade, despite the fact that earnings have continued to grow, revenue has continued to grow, uh, noting the exception of last, last year. $19 billion of enterprise value grew to a peak of 37 uh, during the pandemic as everything was just kind of euphoric. And that's come back down uh, what is that? $10 billion of market cap has been erased from this business from $37.6 billion in 2021 to $20 billion in 2022. On, an, on, a, on a debt basis, if we look at this business relative debt relative to earnings, it sat around two times debt to earnings with the notable exception of last fiscal year when they're at 5.2. So prior to the last year, they were at a very reasonable uh, average 2.3 times debt to EBITDA. That's a nice leverage ratio that we use to figure out how many years of operating earnings would they need to pay down their debt should they need to. And last year, if earnings stayed the same at 1.5 billion of EBITDA, this business would be over leveraged. But 
if you think that that was an anomaly based on some of the things I showed you earlier, that's going to return back over time, then that debt, this debt ratio of 5.2 is going to come back down as earnings stabilize and return to normal. Enterprise value EBITDA has been, has been relatively cheap for a business, 11 times at a high of 15 times enterprise value to EBITDA. Now, if we look at free cash flow, free cash flow itself has followed kind of the same model as EBITDA. You've got 1.2 billion of, adjust, of uh, free cash flow in 2014, 1.1, 1.1, and it grew to a high of just shy of $2 billion in 2020. And it's come down to that negative 1.5 billion I showed you earlier, which with a couple adjustments gets back to about at least even for the business. CapEx has grown as they've continued to um, buy more product and excuse me, as they've continued to invest in their infrastructure to build out their capabilities. Debt has kind of been positive over the, over the period of time as they've grown earnings, they have borrowed money. But aside from the last year, I don't see the debt as a problem. I think they can continue to keep that, uh, that level of debt. Shares outstanding started 160 million shares and are now at 157 million. Not exactly buying back a ton of shares, kind of just keeping even with a slight drop in shares over the last nine years. If I look at the share price itself over this period of time, it spiked at just shy of or back $185 a share uh, back in the euphoric days. It's now uh, 77 almost $80 a share, uh, down significantly on the lower earnings. What happens if the earnings return? All right, now let's build a forecast for this business. So what we're going to do is we're going to take last year's forecast and we're going to cut it again. I, we're cutting it this time 30%. And we're saying they're going to make a billion dollars next year because we don't know what the future holds. Nobody does. The company itself is, is, is guiding to a low uh, single digit decline in earnings, but it could be uh, you know, low double digit. It could be 10%. I'm just going to whack it and say 30% uh, um, uh, earnings drop, which is a massive drop. However, I do think that long term, the brand will re recover and a lot of the parts that they and, and, and tooling that they make uh, expires and has to be replaced. Your, your battery pack on your, on your hand drill eventually goes out and you need to buy a new one. So I think that they're going to over time be able to get back to their, their average. And we look at historically, right? They spent many, many years in this north of $2 billion range. Of the last nine years, this is five years that they have spent above $2 billion, they now get 1.5. So I don't think getting back to 2 billion um, is, is unreasonable very quickly. So what we're doing is we're saying 2023 is gonna be a bad year and then 2024, as the world slowly recovers, they're gonna come back to earnings and earnings are gonna stabilize around 2.6 billion. And then from there, I need 3% growth over the long term to get $3.3 billion of earnings out a decade from now. Now that's partially the recovery of existing uh, production and sales and then a slight price appreciation over this period of time. I'll give it an 11 times market multiple, which is the reasonable market multiple they've been receiving for the last decade. And this produces a share price of $181.09 for the share price out 10 years from now. If we do the same thing for free for free cash flow. Now, I look at the free cash flow of this business, I can average the last couple years right here, and I get about 96 cents on average looking at the last couple years, including kind of an adjusted 
2021. So I'm gonna put 87 cents out as a forecast. It's a tiny number. They're not gonna make much cash in 2023. However, when the business recovers back to what they've been doing historically, the free cash flow of this business is just shy of seven bucks. They should be able to get back to that range. Maybe it's not in 2024, maybe it's in 2025 or 26, but at some point they're going to recover and they're gonna be able to grow that at 3% for price appreciation. And that it, with the yield, of 4% free cash flow yield, I get a stock price of $214 out 10 years now for Black, Stanley Black & Decker. Okay, so now what? Now we've got two price estimates. We've got a free cash flow method that's saying, hey, I think this is $214, $214. And I've got an EBITDA market multiple approach, which says it's $181. So I'll average this and say it's roughly $200 per share out 10 years from now. Now, if I look at the current price of the stock, it's 80 bucks. What does that mean on an enterprise value? That means that the current market enterprise value of the company is 200, excuse me, $20 billion. $20 billion for a company like this, in my opinion, is very cheap. If I look at what the stabilized EBITDA is, so not, not what they just did, not trailing, not forward next year because it's down here, but I look at stabilized, which could be out a year or two. If you're willing to wait for that, which is what investing is, um, that we think is somewhere around $2.6 billion. So that stabilized number, you're buying this company on, on a 7.7 .7 times market multiple, and we think we can sell it out in the future at 11. So you're getting a market multiple expansion on a company that's growing 3% in the long term because you're buying it looking out two years for that earnings return. The same thing for free cash flow. If I think free cash flow is just shy of seven bucks, out more than a year, it has to come back. But if you assume that's correct, you're buying it for about a 9% free cash flow yield, which is a moneymaker in my book. So what does this look like on an IRR basis? If I buy the stock at 80, I get a stream of cash flow, which over time should be about seven and a half dollars with some recovery and some inflation. I sell it just shy of 200 bucks 10 years from now, and I get an estimated IRR of 18% every single year over that decade of hold period. That's what the IRR means. I, this is probably the biggest single question I get on the channel. People will take this sale price divided by this purchase price and say that doesn't equal 18% annually. That's because they're forgetting this stream of cash flow. At my original point uh, when we started this video, that you're buying into, you think of it as a partnership. You're owning this business. And there's one, the price, which is what's on the screen that most everyone follows and draws lines and charts and tries to figure out where it's gonna go. You don't know. And two, the underlying earnings or underlying cash flow of the business, which you as an owner have a entitled right to. This is your entitled right to the free cash flow, assuming this forecast comes true. But if it does, you own this right of cash and what the business does with it affects this long-term number. I've assumed that they've simply dividend this money out. Now they could A, buy back shares, in which case this would go down, this would be zero, but the share price would go higher because there's fewer shares outstanding. Number two, they could dividend it out, which is what I've assumed. Number three, they could go out and they acquire other businesses and the accretive earnings from those businesses would lift the cash flow and the long-term price. Number three, they could hold it in cash on the balance sheet. 
in which case the market discounts it when they do the enterprise value and it reflects on the share price. So either way, you need to make sure you never forget the stream of cash flow when you're calculating your IRR. Now that IRR is higher than what we'd stand typically uh, see in the stock market. 10% is what the stock market typically does over a 10-year period of time. This is 18%, which is um, you know 80% higher than what the stock market does. So I think you can make three, three and a half times your money by buying the stock and holding it over the long term. And this is how I think you can, you, you can take an $80 investment and make 200 bucks, which is 250% price appreciation, which is what I said at the outset of this video. I'm gonna give you a distribution curve. So you're watching this video maybe three, four, five, six months from now. You wanna see what the stock price is based on this forecast. So assuming the forecast does hit the, the saying that they return to a stabilized earnings, those stabilized earnings grow at 3% a year. If the stock price goes up to 106 bucks, I'm not much of a buyer. Uh, I think it's it's too much of a price appreciation to pay for a company that's growing at 3%. However, $80, $80 a share, I think it's a great price at 18%. We don't see many stocks that have a forecast of 18% IRR. If it comes down with further market meltdown, I think it's an absolute steal. And this is a company I would expect someone like Buffett to kind of look at and say, well, why not pay $20 billion, own a phenomenal tool company that's been around for 170 years and collect that monster dividend that uh, it's essentially a 9% free cash flow yield to 9% dividend if you own the entire company. So let's recap our five key factors here. Number one, top line revenue growth. Yes, it's growing. Number two, EBITDA. Yes, EBITDA is growing despite last year. I think it will return and continue to grow. Number three, strong free cash flow. Yes, they have strong free cash flow. The ca their cash flow from operation swamps the CapEx. They're able to pay their debt service. Number four, uh, low debt. Yeah, despite the debt being high this past year as a result of earnings, if you believe the underlying thesis of a recovery and it's one time, then yeah, the debt is right size. Uh, number five, is it priced appropriately? I think the answer is yes. The uh, write down of the $20 billion of, um, of enterprise value is more than compensating for the risk of the growth story here. And I think an $80 price target is a very attractive price for um, for Stanley Black & Decker. One caveat, I do own the stock, so I just want to throw it out there. But I do think it's a very interesting. I want to thank Thomas, the, the analyst in the cash flow club, for bringing this stock to our attention, doing the updated forecast. Uh, if you want to see his analysis, it's in the cash flow club. I'll put a link down below on his affiliate link. So if you want to join the club and see what the cash flow club is all about, use his link and he'll get share of the revenue. It's part of a way that we're building an analyst team to cover uh, just a whole host of global stocks and allow people who naturally like to review stocks to share in the revenue of analyzing securities uh, and in the cash flow club. So you can check out that with the link below as well as uh, a link to the one pager, which is what we publish in the cash flow club. It's a one page complete summary of everything that I just discussed revenue growth for 10 years, EBITDA, free cash flow debt, revenue, all that summarized for you in a one pager that you can simply keep on your desk. And as the stock price moves, you find the one stocks that you like, you hold those one pagers. And when the stock price comes to where you want it, you have a, a, a due diligence piece of material that you can use to judge if you want to make that investment or not. Uh, let me know what else you want to see. This is um, Cameron Stewart of Rational Investing. I greatly appreciate the time um, and enjoy picking stocks. If you guys have uh, a stock that you'd like to see, ping me a note. I'm happy to take a look at the stock. You can throw it in the comment or, um, or, or chat at me on Twitter. 
So finally, to bring this episode to a close, I would just want to give it a rating, which would be a good. I think I like Stanley Black & Decker, the brands that they have, the length of time they've been around, and our underlying thesis that the United States will uh, kind of repatriate a lot of manufacturing over the next decade, that manufacturing is going to need tooling, and Stanley Black & Decker owns a lot of the major brands that um, uh, construction workers are going to use to build out facilities and infrastructure inside the U.S. So I, I think the long-term case here is very really interesting. It's a very good company. There are a couple other companies such as like Snap-on Tools, uh, which are competitors and own other brands. Snap-on is much more industrial, uh, but that's a phenomenal company as well. You can find that one pager in the Cashflow Club. Check out my website, cashflowinvestingpro.com, where I, A, teach a course where I teach you how to do this financial model. I give it to you. I walk you through how to value Apple revenue, EBITDA, earnings, free cash flow, how to adjust for stock splits, um, how to forecast, what, what to look for in a forecast, what is a market multiple, what is a free cash flow yield, how, how do you do that? This is what analysts in Wall Street do. Uh, as a, I'm a CFO by profession. I've trained lots of analysts that I've worked with. I was an analyst in Wall Street, so it, it's definitely a tool that everyone uses. The trick is just how do you get the assumptions right? Most analysts on Wall Street are kind of right 50% of the time. Uh, so I don't think there's any magic here. I think anybody can do it. And if you have a portfolio of 20 to 30 stocks that you follow, that you believe in, uh, you, sh you can make a model for those companies yourself, track them over time, and you'll have a bit more confidence in um, where their business is going or what kind of risk you're willing to take because you built out the model. And I'm happy to train you to, see, to, to show you how to use it. Again, you can see that at cashflowinvestingpro.com. Thank you very much for the time. I greatly appreciate it. This is Cameron Stewart from Rational Investing. Uh, hit that like button. I always appreciate it. And uh, don't forget to uh, subscribe to the, to the channel. All right, bye-bye.